Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and before we bring on our guest tonight, I just got to give you a quick update on uh, some of the stuff that's been happening with the site. Uh, the site runs on WordPress, and on the back end of WordPress, I got a, uh, a note saying that we had to update our PHP or else they would uh, stop, uh, stop letting us uh, use their service. So I contacted my host, updated the uh, the PHP and thought it was going to be a one-hour procedure and it ended up being about a 27-hour procedure. But I'm happy to, to say that uh, we've gotten past that and the site is back up and uh, new content uh, will be uh, appearing regularly as normal. So uh, now that uh, we've got that going and we've got the, the podcast going, let's, uh, let's jump right into it. And tonight's guest is Mets360 writer Matt Netter. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be back. I'm glad the site's back up. Yeah, you and me both. It was uh, it was uh, kind of a, uh, a very frustrating uh, experience for all involved. Well, let's get right to to, to the Mets, and uh, maybe maybe we can avoid some frustration here. Although it's the Mets, so I, I, that that's probably a bit optimistic. New season. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, the the first thing I want to ask you is about uh, Jeff McNeil. Last year he was an infielder. They brought in a whole bunch of infielders during the offseason, so he's going to be an outfielder this year. And then what happens? The Mets have two injuries to infielders, and they move him back in to play third base. And what I want to know do you, is, do you think they're making a mistake not giving him more reps playing outfield this spring? Um. Thankfully, we got two weeks left in spring training, and I'm hoping that they'll give him some time at both positions. Um, I don't think I think I think he's got enough familiarity with second base, and Lowry will be back eventually. So I don't think that's as important. But he needs to get as comfortable playing third as he does the outfield, because while he has more experience there, he primarily played second last year, and he was hurt quite a bit the season prior in the minors. So I would like to see, if possible over the next two weeks for them to really split up his time between third and left. Now, in in my uh, athletic career, I preferred to play infield for the simple reason that if I screwed up and made a mistake in the infield, somebody in the outfield would have to chase the ball. That's right. But if, if McNeil is an outfielder and he makes a mistake, he's got to recover and then chase the ball himself. And we've already seen in spring training that he's made uh, at least two mistakes that I've seen in, in the outfield that I think that a more experienced guy would not have made. And I really would prefer to see him getting experience because he makes a mistake at third base, it's a single. He, mis- he makes a mistake in the outfield, it's at least a double, if not more. It's a good point. And the reason I want to see him in the outfield more is I just – even though we have some depth out there and even some extra guys that we're going to stash in AAA, we just have a lot of guys out there with injury histories. I mean, forget for a minute about Cespedes and whether or not you know he comes back sooner rather than later. Conforto and Nimmo have both had their share of injuries, and Lord knows Ligaris has spent half his career on the disabled list. So I, I definitely, for that reason alone, I, I even would like to see Dom Smith get some innings out there. And... And on on top of that, the injuries that the infielders have right now, I don't think are going to be things that keep them out for, you know, six weeks. You know, maybe they won't be ready opening day, 
but I'd be shocked if both guys weren't back in, in two or three weeks. I hope, but they both have um, kind of odd injuries that are hard to tell. I know there's no major structural damage with Lowry's knee, but that can still be a stubborn thing given his age. And the injury that um, Frazier has is one that we've seen a lot of on the Mets over the years, that sort of intercoastal strain that depending on the degree of it, guys end up missing more time than they thought. So who knows? Well, with the the, the big springs that both Alonzo and, and Smith are having, essentially we only need one of those guys to come back to uh, one of the, the Frazier and Lowry to come back in order for McNeil to be needed more in the outfield than he is in the infield. That's true. So, I, I really think it's a, a penny-wise, pound-foolish kind of decision to be uh, giving him all these reps at third base when he should be getting them in the outfield. Yeah, and of course we have 11 second basemen in the system, too. <laughs> all right, well, as long as we're talking about injuries, Drew Smith suffered a, a season-ending injury. Uh, does that have any impact on the pen? Uh, you know, there were rumors earlier that they were going to go to an eight-man pen. And I kind of assumed that if they went to an eight-man pen, that Smith probably would make the team. But if Smith is no longer in the equation, does that mean they scrap the eight-man? I think they should scrap the eight-man anyway. Um, I, I think that's overkill, and I'd rather have um, some more strength on the bench. But I, I feel bad for Smith. He seems like a good guy, a good kid, and um, he was doing great in spring training. He hadn't allowed a run, and... Um, it's not a big deal because he'd be the last piece, but when you look at the way a couple of the other, um, you know, that mixed bag of hard-throwing young righties, he was looking the best of all of them. Bachelor showed some signs of breaking out um, on the team last year, but he really looked terrible in spring, and he got he got uh, option to the minors already, and then uh, Handhold didn't look good, Seawald hasn't looked right, um... So I don't know, I think we may wind up with three lefties in the pen, which would be the first time in a while. Now, this time last year, I had pretty much written off Drew Smith because I thought there were so many people in front of him who were going to get an opportunity before him. And odds were that, you know, if he was, I don't know what he was, but let's just say he was sixth on the depth chart. And one of those five guys ahead of him was actually going to be worthwhile. But it turned out that none of those five guys ahead of him were worthwhile. Smith came up, and, and he did a fabulous job. Yeah, and, he was good. And like, and like you said, he was having a real good spring before this happened, so I, I feel bad. Yeah, and we also traded away Bobby Wall, who since um, got injured, and he's out for the year, too. Uh, sometimes uh, those those hard-throwing guys come up with hard-throwing injuries, and I wonder if that's what's the, happened with both uh, Wall and Smith. Yeah. Well, let's uh, switch over and talk about a different Smith, and that's Dominic Smith. You uh, uh, you mentioned him uh, earlier, wanting to see him maybe get some more uh, outfield innings. Um, he's had a real nice uh, spring uh, here so far. I know it's not a huge sample, but it's what we have, and you know that's what we deal with. We we deal with what we have. And um, what did you think of him before? Uh, spring training started and has your opinion changed any with his hot start well i think we were all very disappointed in him last year um you know between kind of his 
attitude not being right and not showing up in shape and kind of blowing his opportunity. And you really have to strike while the iron's hot because clearly he's been Wally pipped. Um, even though he's in great shape and he figured out this thing with the sleep apnea and, and I don't know if he had LASIK surgery or contacts or something's better with his vision I was reading. And uh, he's hitting like crazy. He looks like he's in great shape. He's got his head screwed on right. But, you know, other than maybe short term while we, you know, stretch out... Uh, Alonzo's uh, clock in the in the minor leagues, so we don't uh, start that right away. I don't really see a place for him. I think the best case scenario is we let him start the season on the big league club for about three weeks, and then uh, he's trade bait because it, it would be hard to send him back down. He's he's proven all he can at the AAA level, and I just don't really see a spot for him. Now you brought up the sleep apnea, and to me this is a a real interesting. Um let's call it a development last year he took so much grief because he overslept and i think it was almost unanimous in people hammering the guy how could you be so irresponsible this was your chance and first time out with the new manager and and this is what you do it, it certainly the optics were not good but if this sleep apnea is is really something that's been an issue with him for a while and it wasn't diagnosed properly um should we should we re-examine you know the the some of the labels that were being thrown his way this time last year when he missed the when he overslept perhaps i mean i'm not a doctor and i don't even play one on tv <laughs> but uh but did you sleep in the holiday Inn express last night that's right exactly um i i don't know what the reason is but uh, he certainly looks um, a lot better now. Well, you may ultimately be right in that that his final destination is as a as a trade piece, and and that's okay. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. My my only fear is that people have just so made up their mind on him that um, you know he didn't produce uh, in I guess two different stints with the Mets and. But neither one of them were were particularly large, and, and I I kind of think he's got a lot of appeal though. He's twenty three, right? He's got six years of control. Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be like a Tampa Bay or Pittsburgh type team that would love to have him and would give us something worthwhile in return. It's not like Major League Baseball is not the way it was ten years ago, where everybody had a great first baseman. There's actually not that many now. To me, it, it he's almost in a twilight zone type of thing because I I do agree with you. He he's he's very young. He comes with a, a bunch of control left in front of him. He could potentially fill a a position that that's not uh, overflowing with superstars. I mean, not to to claim that he would be a superstar, but I think that he could certainly be uh, raised to the level of an average first baseman. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, look at the, I, I the Yankees. The Yankees and Red Sox are both implementing platoons at first base. Can you? That's that's hard to accept. I mean, neither team has a star at first base, and these are like the two powerhouse teams. It, it's it's almost shocking to me. And just there are many many teams. You look at a guy like Chris Davis with the massive contract, but there are a lot of mediocre or, or not so great first basemen. There's a lot of platoons. It's a strange time. 
Well, let's look at this from from the perspective of another team. And since you just mentioned uh, Baltimore, let's use let's use the Oreos. Maybe they have the opportunity for uh, a young first baseman to come in and get playing time, and and they identify Smith as a target. But the flip side of that is, given that he hasn't really done anything, would you really trade anything, you know, above like a, a generic C level prospect for him? Yes, I would. Because he's still a prospect. When you when you consider that he's 23 and has six years of control, you can still look at him as a prospect who has some major league service time in. You know, he's not first getting his feet wet. To me, he's that perfect diamond in the rough player that fits that like that like Oakland, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay kind of mindset. And I think they would give up something for him. I'm not saying they're top prospect. But something worthwhile. Well, p- perhaps you're right. I, I guess my my initial instinct is that he's desirable. He's somebody that you'd want to take a, a flyer on. Maybe uh, get him as a as a, a throw in to a a bigger deal. But I can't see him being somebody that you would say give up your your sixth or eighth best prospect in a in a half decent system for. Maybe. All right. Well, we're we're clearly not going to agree on that. So let's uh, let's move on. We talked a little bit about the uh, the eight man pen that the Mets are are at least talking about doing. Well, another thing that's uh, maybe a little uh, uh, unconventional that they've talked about doing is carrying three catchers. So how do you see the catching situation playing out for the Mets this year? Um, well, as far as um, the eight man pen, like I said before, I, I believe in a seven man pen at most. I think eight's ridiculous. Um, three catchers makes no sense to me. If they wanted Mesoraco to be Jacob deGrom's caddy, then I, they should have signed him earlier. And I still... The, the, the biggest head-scratcher to me of the entire offseason was why they tendered Travis Dorno. Three and a half million dollars for an injury-prone backup catcher makes zero sense to anyone. Yes, he's hitting in spring training... But he's not being shifted around into other positions. Um, and if he was, would you really trust him to stay healthy? He can't stay healthy playing one position. So I, I don't really understand that whole thing. I do think they need to carry three catchers by stashing one in AAA because Ramos, with his injury history, um, you know, the, the limping Buffalo with his two knee surgeries. <laughs> I think they need to have that third guy, and I'm not a big Thomas Nito fan. You and I have argued about that before. Um, I just don't think he can hit major league pitching. Now, I agree with you that I think an eight-man bullpen is ridiculous, but I think you can make a case for three catchers, and especially on this Met team with the uh, the injury questions that uh, both Darno and, and Ramos have. And... Ramos uh, especially seems like the the type that you would want to build in more days off for, and when you're giving him that day off, you really don't want to use him as a as a defensive replacement or a or a pinch hitter. And I I, I can see a case for and especially giving Mesoraco's results with Degrom and and the comfort level that was established last year. I don't know. I I don't think a, a three 
catcher uh, uh, deployment is necessarily uh, insane or crazy or something that should be dismissed out of hand. But um, you know, perhaps with the if if the two uh, infielders who are currently injured both uh, open the year on the DL or the IL now, I guess they call it. Perhaps that's that that gives them the 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 leeway to try to carry that third catcher. I don't see it. I really need, unless there's a stretch in the schedule where we have a lot of road games against the American League and Ramos can be the DH or something. I, I just don't see it. It's just it just seems like you're 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 eating up a roster spot. You're eating up a, a bench spot. I just don't see it, and especially because Mesoraco is not a strong hitter. And uh, I, I just don't see it. Well, he's not a strong hitter for average, but frequently in, in late-game situations, you want somebody who can deliver the long ball, and Mesoraco carries that with him. The groundhog, yes, he does. And I'm actually a fan of his. I liked him back when he was in Cincinnati. I was thrilled we got him. Um, and I like him. I don't think he's good enough to be your number one catcher, but I think as a backup, he's a great option. He occasionally hits the long ball. He plays nice defense. He works well with the pitchers. Um, he's a good clubhouse guy by, by all regards. Um, I just, like I said, I don't understand the logic of bringing back Dorno. They could have saved themselves $3.5 million. And the other thing is they still have the, the option to cut Darno and only having to be responsible for a portion of his uh, arbitration award depending upon the date that they cut him. So, so that, that's, if they that's do that on the table. I think I read that it's a little over a million dollars they still have to pay him. So if you look at it that way then it would be basically it was a one million dollar insurance policy in case Ramos got hurt during spring training. I mean I, I just it, it was a weird move. Yeah certainly I thought that they were going to cut ties with both uh, he and Flores, or I would have cut ties with both he and Flores. I thought they were going to go the opposite way. I thought they were going to keep Flores and, and cut Darno. So as as a guy who is not a particular big fan of Flores, I was glad that they that they uh, went separate ways. But at the same time, I I, I did think it was at least a little curious that uh, that they uh, hitched their wagon to Darno, given all the the injuries that he's had. Yeah. And I, I, I was a Flores fan, and I don't want to get off on that tangent, but given what his salary went up to, I, I came around on that one. I thought he was like a good teammate and a fan favorite and a, a decent guy to have on the bench, and he gave us some righty pop, but given the, the defensive lapses and the slow base running and a few other things, once he, his salary started climbing up, it wasn't worthwhile anymore. All right, well, uh, let's talk about another guy who may not be worth his salary, and that's Jason Vargas. Uh, was uh, beyond terrible uh, for about two-thirds of last year, then came on really strong down the stretch, and then here yeah. he is in spring training, uh, healthy on a regular rotation and, and pitching really well. Um, what do you forecast for him in 2019? Oh, he's a strong Cy Young favorite, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice to see he's healthy and doing well in spring training. But I'll tell you, he was a perfect example. Um, if, if For guys that get hurt in spring training or guys that sign late and miss spring training, it really puts a damper. And, and I know there's been studies on this. You know, you look at some of the guys last year who signed late or were hurt early, and then they just ended up having terrible first halves. But he really he came around 
um, the last like six weeks of the season. He looked like a, the guy that we signed, and I think we can get that from him. I don't think we can expect more than five or six inning starts out of him. He's not a, a long guy, but for a fifth starter, you know, if he can give us an ERA under four and you know 150 innings, I'm thrilled. Yes, I think everyone would sign on the dotted line if he was able to produce those. And I don't even think that it would necessarily need to be that low if it was a 425 ERA at, at, at 150 innings. I think that would be great. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be uh, something that we, we would all uh, accept and, and uh, be grateful for from our fifth starter. Uh, it, it's just... Uh, you know, he's not somebody that I, I really was excited that we signed last year. I saw the logic in it, so it, it was it was okay in my mind. Uh, didn't quite work out. Uh, if he was a free agent this past off season, we wouldn't have signed him. But he's here. He's under contract. He's not terrible. So I say roll the dice and, and move forward with him. Yeah, and the, the good news is um, Corey Oswalt looked really good in spring training. Uh, I feel good about him. His velocity was up. Yeah. Uh, You know, we were, we were told that he hit, uh, you know, he regularly was in the low nineties and he, he touched 95 and I didn't ever see a 95. I don't think I saw a 94. I think I saw a couple of 93s and that was it. So if he, he seems like he, he has, um, good location. Uh, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you just need that little extra oomph. And, you know, maybe two miles an hour doesn't sound like a lot, but I think in, in reality it is. And I yeah. think if he if he did have that extra gear that he could hit occasionally, that that would uh, mean a lot for him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's, uh, let's have a, a, a little uh, uh, detour into silly land, and uh, that's with uh, noted silly man Jose Canseco, who... Uh, <laughs> has made a, uh, I guess you'd call it a public plea. He's made a bunch of Twitter um, uh, tweets uh, about uh, wanting to work with Tim Tebow, saying that uh, he could uh, make changes to him and and help him hit 40 home runs in the majors. So uh, what was your reaction when you heard about uh, Mr. Canseco in, in regards to Mr. Tebow? Well, one thing I have in common with you for sure, I can't even say his name without giggling. (laughs) <laughs> he's like to me he's like this this comical figure from the past of pop culture sort of like like mr t or spuds mckenzie or something <laughs> that's uh that's an apt description um just a ridiculous character i also read that he challenged um alex rodriguez to like uh, i don't know if it was a wrestling match or something ridiculous and they uh, were actually teammates at one point yeah, I mean, uh, I, I watched Tebow a little bit in spring training. Um, he's a legitimate ball player. It's not like when, you know, Michael Jordan tried to play baseball and he looked out of place. He looks like he knows what he's doing, and he's definitely got power potential. He's a big, strong guy. Um, I don't know that he could ever hit major league pitching. You know, we'll see how he does. Was he sent down to Binghamton or Syracuse? I don't know if they've made that announcement. I think that they said that it was minor league camp. I think everyone expects him to be in Syracuse. Yeah. He'll help sell tickets there, that's for sure. Wherever um, he goes, that'll be the case. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get the whole religious following thing, but to each his own. Um, but as far as him, the ball player, 
One, another thing that surprised me about him is he really does not have a very strong arm. You know, for a guy who was a quarterback, I know he was known more as a scrambling quarterback, but I'm not impressed with his throwing arm. He shows some power at the plate, but he strikes out a lot. And, you know, if he faces major league pitching consistently, I think he would put up Chris Davis numbers. And I mean 2018 Chris Davis, not 2014 or 15 Chris Davis. Well, before we we leave this uh, segment, I just want to... uh just for for my own amusement bring up the fact that uh, Jose Canseco is the only one that I'm aware of who had a ball hit his head and then go over the over wall over the wall I remember so that that was uh yeah that that's always like the I don't think about the the first guy to be 40-40 I think about the the guy who uh did a soccer header over the wall and cost his team a home run I do remember Daryl Strawberry having a ball pop out of his mitt and hit him in the head, but it didn't go over the wall. Bad enough uh, as it was. Yeah. All right, well, let's get let's get back to a, a serious question. And, and uh, Robinson Cano um, has looked very good this spring. Yeah. He had a two-run homer today. Um, do, do you think he has uh, an all-star season left in him? I do, and especially because... Most of the best second basemen are in the American League. <laughs> I think he actually has a shot at that. And, you know, we've, we've had discussions about, you know, the five-year contract. Lord knows what that'll look like at the end. But I think for this season and next, there's no reason why he can't continue to be a top second baseman. He looks smooth in the field. His swing looks as pretty as ever. Um, I think he's got a good attitude. He's, he, he's a ball player. And I think the Mets are going to benefit from having him on their team and in their lineup. He, without a doubt, has looked good. I guess I'm a little surprised that uh, he's played as much as he has here early in spring training. I, I thought maybe they would try to uh, be a little more conservative uh, in his in his playing time to, you know, not, not have him waste all of his hits in Florida, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, anyone who was just looking at him uh, uh, and and seeing the results, I, I think they would be surprised to learn that he was 36. Yeah, I think so too. All right, well, we have reached the crazy prediction time of the show. I'm going to give you a crazy prediction, ask for your comment, and then I'll ask you to give me uh, your crazy prediction. Okay, are you ready? Ready. My crazy prediction is that Mets catcher Wilson Ramos despite being probably the third option this year for the Mets, is going to end the 2019 season with a higher OPS than either of the other uh, two catchers that they pursued, those being uh, JT Realmuto and uh, Yasmani Grandal. So uh, Ramos will have the highest OPS of those three catchers this year. So tell me, is that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I do think that's crazy. Woohoo! I, yeah, I I do. Um, I think if he stays healthy, he'll have a higher one than than Grandal. But also look at the lineups that those two guys are a part of now. They're surrounded by a lot of bats protecting them. So yeah, I, I think that one's a little crazy. All right. Well, let's see if you can. Uh, if I don't know if we've ever gone a two for two where both the host and the guest came up with a crazy prediction. So let's see if we can break that streak tonight. Hit me with crazy. Hit you with crazy. Um, 
I had one, but I already put it in my post for tomorrow, so I'll save that. And instead, I will say that Michael Conforto will finish in the top five in MVP voting. Top five? In, well, uh, um, before I say whether or not I think it's crazy, I, I, I certainly hope that it comes true. Uh, we've all thought that Conforto has that capability. Uh, hasn't done it over a, a full major league season yet, so I think that if he was to carry like his second half production from last year, uh, that would certainly be on the table. Um, I wouldn't wager on it, but I, I guess I wouldn't go crazy because I can I can see it happening. Uh, we we saw it in 2017 before he came down with the the bad shoulder injury. Yeah, uh, and then. Uh, we, we saw it in the second half of 2018. And, you know, we're all thinking that one of these years he's going to put it together and play 150 games and he's going to be great in the first half and great in the second half. And, yep. you know, 2019 has just as much chance of, of being that year as as, uh, as you can get, I suppose. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I, I can't uh, break out my crazy stamp for you. Ah. Optimistic. How about that? Good. We'll, we'll, we'll label you optimistic. I'll take it. All right, well, um, Jacob deGrom uh, last year pitched magnificently, uh, was the victim of poor run support. And we've seen a little bit more of that same thing going on here early in the spring. Are you concerned about any carryover of of, uh, poor offensive support for Jake uh, in the 2019 regular season? I'm actually curious to see what the hangover effect of that is, if it's become like a self-fulfilling prophecy, but there are enough new faces on the team. Because if, if you recall back in the 80s and early 90s, Ron Darling was that guy where he just never got run support. And he had a couple of years where he really was tremendous, but just kept getting no decisions or one nothing losses, and they just didn't give him the run support. Um, so it can carry over. I'm just hoping that by changing a lot of the faces in the lineup that that won't be an issue any longer like the new guys don't have any memory of that in 2017 degrom got over uh five uh, runs per game of support so i think that that's something that's that's random uh certainly it could carry over i'm not saying that it's not going to but as far as my list of worries about things i'd say that one's pretty low for me yeah sam all right, well, uh, let's uh, finish it up with uh, uh, a look about uh, something that maybe we don't talk about a whole lot. Well, we don't talk about it because it's not particularly good, and that's defense. Um, there have been a lot of errors by the Mets in Grapefruit League play so far. Uh, how big of an issue do you see defense being for the club this season? Well, first of all, the, the Mets lead the majors by a long shot in spring training errors. But if you look, take a closer look, most of them are by guys that are not going to be on the team. Um, like third, fourth string, kind of like Dilson Herrera types that had no chance of making the team. Um, but I think I expressed this in one of my recent uh, posts. Defense is actually the biggest concern for me with this team. I think that is our biggest weakness. There are a lot of guys playing out of position, and that's one of the reasons why I was really against signing Jed Lowry. His signing forced a number of players to switch positions. Frazier is naturally a third baseman. He moves to first. You know, um, McNeil is naturally an infielder. He moves to the outfield. And then Lowry's not even 
third base is not his natural position. So you've got three guys playing out of position because Brody Van Wagen and felt compelled to sign this 35-year-old guy. Um, I really wanted Marwin Gonzalez. Maybe I'll be proven wrong because I do like the way Lowry's bat slots in at the two-hole. But I just, uh, looking at it on the flip side, I don't like what it did to our defense. And I also don't like that, you know, Nimmo in center field. I think we're giving up something there. And Nimmo in right field, frankly, he doesn't have a very strong arm. Um, so I, I, you know, Ligoris is great, and Broxton I've heard good things about, although I haven't really seen evidence of it yet. Um, Rosario is solid, but I'm not blown away by his defense. I think Cano will be an improvement at second. Alonso is not known for his defense. Um, we should be better behind the plate with Ramos, but overall I, didn't, I don't like this team's defense. It concerns me. I agree with your concern about the guys uh, being shifted to different positions, but to me, the signing of Lowry was fine. To me, I think that the you go back to the Cano deal is is still the thing that's causing this. If they didn't make the Cano deal, you sign Lowry and you put him in at second base, and uh, you're good to go. And then where would McNeil play at third? Uh, McNeil uh, super sub, or uh, he he goes uh, to the outfield, and you still got some of the the same problems that you were mentioning earlier. I like McNeil. Uh, I I would prefer, uh, especially with the the current makeup of the team, for him to get as many reps in the outfield as he can. I'd have him play. Uh, I I don't know what time the minor league games are, but if he could play a major league game and a minor league game in the same day, I'd have him do that just to get as many reps as he could. <laughs> So let's let's do your um, uh, history revisited or whatever they call that, um, reinventing the past, whatever they call that. If we never made that trade with Seattle, then what would you have done about our closer situation? Um, well, I hear there's this guy named uh, uh, Richard Kimball or or something like that, <laughs> who who uh, currently doesn't have a team and and has a history of doing well and. Uh, and he is, a, and he is a fugitive. <laughs> yeah, he is. A, he's a fugitive from a major league team. Uh, nobody wants him. Um, but uh, th there were no shortages of of options that you could have gone if if you were turned off by the the salary demands and the 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 length of contract demands of 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 Kimbrel. There there was many many different options. There there were several good. Uh, free agent relievers, and and the Mets signed one. They they could have gone back to Familia, you know, as as a closer. So um, Diaz, I'm I'm excited that Diaz is on the team, and I don't want to pretend otherwise. But I think there were easily other avenues that they could have pursued. I understand, but how excited are you if Diaz is anywhere near as good as he was last year? How excited are you to see the ninth inning just locked down again? Well, um, yeah, I mean, he he was fantastic last year. And, and I, in, in all honesty, if you're going to use a guy strictly as a one-inning, ninth-inning guy, uh, which certainly they've given all indications that's what they're going to do, I don't know if you could, you could have a better year than Diaz had last year. No, but one thing that's smart about that move is in the event that things go to hell for this team, that is one heck of a trade ship. 
well, <laughs> that that's not an avenue I particularly want to go down at this no. point. You know, after they gave up so much to get him, uh, I'd hate that they uh, turn around and, and flip him at the trade deadline this year. But so what's I guess your... we shouldn't rule that out. But we're going to win We're going to win the World Series this year, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I like our chances. There's no juggernaut team in the National League this year. Um, I like our chances. I think we're in a tough division, and we're all going to beat up on each other except for the Marlins. Um, but I like our chances. I, I think, yes, like we've pointed out, the defense and injury risks, and, you know, we certainly have our warts, but so do the other teams. I think some of the other teams are a little overrated. The Phillies, to me, have a, a very weak back of the rotation. The Braves have a, a, a weaker-than-needed bullpen. And I think... Um, I, I, I don't think the Nationals are as improved as people think they are. I think they gave up as much, if not more, than they gained. An earlier crazy prediction of mine from this uh, offseason was that the Marlins were not going to finish in last place in the division. There's absolutely no way. I would. Uh, that's the surest bet of all. <laughs> There's just See, no way. See, you would have you branded that one crazy, too. Abs- that one's beyond crazy. Because wow. I think the other four teams are so head and shoulders above... I don't think it's possible for them to finish below them. The Marlins have almost no talent. I, I see former Met uh, Curtis uh, Granderson and Neil Curtis, Walker. Yeah, Curtis Granderson and Neil Walker. There's two talented, high quality character guys. Yeah, right and there. together with Storlin Castro, that's your murderer's row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, it, it's a crazy prediction, but. If somehow all of the planets align and and they they squeak into fourth place, I want you to, to recall this moment and say, you know, it seems like I heard somebody said that. Oh, my gosh. Not a chance. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I think we're going to call it a night. Matt, thanks for uh, sticking through and uh, got it. Uh, doing the, the podcast tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing your, your column uh, tomorrow morning. Great. Been a pleasure. All right. Good night, everyone, and goodbye.